here we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday night, January 15th, 2019. Kicking off the show a little more day in the time with Jungle Love. As always, I'm your host, Jamal Hayden. We've got a big show to get to tonight. We've got Wild Card Weekend out of the way. We've got Divisional Round out of the way. Just happened this past Sunday, Saturday and Sunday, I should say. Then uh, looking forward to the Championship Sunday uh, this coming week. Uh, Also talk about the coaching changes. We talked about it with AG last show. Uh, It would appear all the vacancies have been filled, uh, along with some key coordinator hires. We'll break down some of that. And uh, we'll also talk a little NBA, uh, the disaster that are the New York Knicks. And listen, I get it. I understand they're, this, is their, this is their losing by design, um, but there's, there's a way to do it and there's a way not to, in my humble opinion. The Knicks are doing it not the way that is uh, to be done. But in any event, we start off with uh, the playoffs this past weekend. Get We'll just go chronologically. First game was Kansas City-Indianapolis. So... Uh, interestingly enough, I, uh, I actually didn't see either of the Saturday games live um, because uh, I was uh, first having uh, a very early dinner uh, with a lovely uh, young lady friend. Um, and then uh, she and I went to uh, our friend's uh, lovely apartment uh, on Central Park South uh, to uh, pregame, so to speak, for... Uh, that friend's brother, who's also a friend of mine's, uh, performance in his uh, university glee club choir <laughs> at you know, Alice Tully Hall in Lincoln Center. So uh, I guess this is what being a grown-up is. I guess when you're trying to have a relationship with a woman and you're trying to be a good friend to people and you're trying to do cultured things and live in New York City, I guess you have to get off your ass on a Saturday night <laughs> and get off the couch and not watch football. You can DVR it, which is what I did, and uh, go out and, and be a member of society. I guess so. This is, uh, I guess, this is what growing up, as the boss once said. I guess this is what br- growing up looks like. In any event, so but I did in fact DVR the games, and uh, so we'll get right to the first one: Kansas City, Indianapolis. Obviously, you know, it's interesting, right? The Chiefs, uh, amazingly, hadn't won a playoff game at Arrowhead, which is historically a very tough place to play. Um, Hadn't won a playoff game in 25 years in Arrowhead, right? Uh, They had horrible luck in that game against the mediocre at best Titans, right? With that whole play where Mariota, you know, threw the ball that the Titans defender, you know, could have intercepted but knocked down at the goal line. The ball bounced right back to Mariota and he ran it in for a touchdown. I mean, you know, they've had some horrible luck over the years in 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 uh, in Kansas City. Um, you know, regardless who the coach was, Schottenheimer and, you know, obviously now Andy Reid. Um, and so and the Colts were the hottest team in the NFL, having won 10 of 11. Uh, Frank Reich, former University of Maryland Terrapin uh, and backup quarterback for the Lions for a year, uh, doing a fine job in his first year there after, you know, the whole Josh McDaniels fiasco. He took the job and then he, you know, reneged. Um, and yet somehow everyone thinks he's a swell guy. Uh, and and apparently was being interviewed for other jobs this year, which is beyond me. But in any event, um, 
And so everybody was very high on the Colts. And look, luck is great. We know when luck is healthy, luck is really good. The Colts finally got their offensive line situation squared away. Right, they drafted two guys in Quentin Nelson with the first pick in, in the first, their the sixth pick in the first round after they did the trade down with the Jets, uh, and then Braden Smith, I believe, in the third round. Darius Leonard, the outstanding linebacker, in the second round. I mean, we talked about it in the last show. The Colts draft this year. I mean, uh, Chris Ballard nailed it, um, and so you know they finally got a great a, a solid offensive line uh, to protect Luck. They can run the ball uh, effectively with Marlon Mack. T.Y. Hilton, big downfield threat. Uh, as much as it pains me to say, Eric Ebron, former Lions tight end, had a very good year for them, um, particularly as a red zone threat. Uh, but Jack Doyle, their other tight end, is also very good, um, although I believe he was hurt for this game. But in any event, you give Luck a good O-line and some tools around him, and he's going to be good. And as you know, is the year he had a test to, right? He had 39 touchdowns and played really well. Uh, so anybody, anyway, everybody was very high in the Colts, right? And all this, the old demons for the Chiefs, they're going to have to exercise. Well, uh, this was barely a game. Now, <laughs> I have to say, uh, call me small, call me petty, that's fine. I have to say, I feel somewhat vindicated about the Eric Ebron situation because, boy, did his the way he played in that game on Saturday remind me a lot of what I saw from him as a Detroit Lion, which was, uh, I believe, first series of the game for the Colts, or maybe it was the second, but very early in the game when it was still a game, third down, Luck hits him right between the eight and the five. Couldn't run over there and hand the ball to him any better. Okay? It's going to be a big first down. Keep a drive alive. He drops the ball. I think third or fourth possession of the game. Again, game is not a blowout yet. Game is still very much within reach. It's early in the game. I get it. But, you know, look, that's how you lose games. You, you drop passes on third down. You don't keep drives alive. You give the ball back to the other team, especially a team like the Chiefs. With that offense, it's going to hurt you. And I think it was, again, the third or maybe it was their fourth possession of the, for the Colts. Uh, third and like five, third and six. Ebron runs a four-and-a-half-yard route. So first, A, runs the incorrect route, doesn't run it past the sticks or at the sticks or past the sticks. Catches the ball, but then, of course, he's got a guy that he outweighs by about 60 pounds that he can't break the tackle and at least lean forward and get the extra half a yard to a yard for the first down. I mean, that those two plays perfectly encapsulate Eric Ebron's career with the Detroit Lions. So I understand he had 13 receiving touchdowns this year for the Colts, and that's all well and good. And all the lazy Lions beat writers can sit there and second guess and say, oh, you know, he was an up-and-coming player. No, 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 no. That's who Eric Ebron is, okay? I, I don't want to hear it. I Listen, I've not been a fan of Bob Quinn's. I'm not a fan of Matt Patricia's. They've shown me nothing so far, okay? That is one move I will never, ever get on them about, ever. So, look, I mean, the only time the Colts scored was on a blocked punt. Uh, that made it 17-7. You thought that might give them a little momentum, but it didn't. You know, Mahomes wasn't, wasn't off the charts, but he was good enough. He didn't make any mistakes. Um, you know, they ran the ball great. This Damian Williams, they, I mean, they haven't really missed a beat with Kareem Hunt since he got, you know, thrown off the team. I mean, he's been fantastic for them. Uh and the Chiefs' defense, I mean, it's night and day. At home, they give up 17 points a game on a row to give up 34. And I've been saying this all year. Look, everybody wants to talk about statistics with defenses. Defense doesn't matter anymore, really, except for can you rush the passer and can you get turnovers. That's it. 
That's it. Yards allowed. I mean, and points allowed, of course, is always going to be, you know, the number one definer. But sometimes that, those can be outliers too, right? You can have special teams touchdowns, uh, touchdowns that your offense gives the other team, right? Either by a pick six or a fumble return for a touchdown or a turnover that sets up the other team, you know, in great field position. So points isn't always uh, the clearest indicator, but it's a pretty good indicator. But, you know, yards allowed, I don't care about that stuff, okay? Third down percentage, it doesn't matter. Can you rush the passer and can you get turnovers? And the Chiefs rushed the passer, okay? Chris Jones, a defensive tackle, had what, 15 sacks? D. Ford had 13 sacks. Justin Houston had 10. I mean, they have three of the best pass rushers in the league in their front seven. I mean, that's what matters. So... Chiefs did what they had to do, rolled over the Colts. You know, it was kind of a fun game to watch. There was a little some snow on the ground. It was cold. Good, good old-fashioned, solid playoff football. It was nice. Which, of course, sets the, now the Chiefs up home game against the Patriots on Sunday. We'll get to that in a little, little later on the show. It's supposed to be extremely cold. I don't know that that necessarily helps the Chiefs based on the way the, pack, uh, the Patriots ran the ball against the Chargers on Sunday. Um, but we'll get as I said, we'll get to that in a second. Second game on the docket was Dallas, LA. Another one everybody's very high in the Cowboys, and rightfully so, by the way. Look, Cowboys beat the Saints in the regular season, one of the best offenses in the league. They shut down one of the best rushing attacks in the league in, in, in the Seahawks last week or the week before. Although I thought, again, I'll say this a million times, Brian Schottenheimer called a lousy game for the Seahawks against the Cowboys. Lousy. You have Russell Wilson on your team. Can you use him, please? Can you stop slamming Chris Carson into the middle line of scrimmage every damn play? And I, listen, I love Chris Carson. He's a good back. The guy breaks tackles right and left. But, I mean, uh, Brian Schottenheimer to give that team any shot in that game against Cowboys. No shot. Anyway, not surprising, by the way. Um, so, the Rams... So a lot of people are very high on the Cowboys, and, you know, and, and, and look, the Rams, same thing, right? Offensive genius, Sean McVay, you know, Mr. Perfectly Quaffed Hairdo with his George Michael beard, you know, perfect five o'clock shadow stubble, eh, you know, we get it, right? And then they get the pretty boy quarterback, but, you know, look, the Cowboys had beaten the Chiefs, uh, sorry, they'd beaten the Saints, beat the Seahawks, the Bears did a number on L.A., although the game was in Chicago and it was cold. But teams with good defenses were the teams that had beaten the Rams. And Goff didn't look particularly good in that game where they lost to, that Sunday night game where they lost to the Eagles. But, you know, it's funny, right? Again, recency bias. So, I mean, for 14 weeks or whatever it was, 13 weeks, the Rams were the it girl. And everybody was in love with the Rams. And then they had a couple of so-so weeks, and then all of a sudden, oh, what's wrong with the Rams? And, you know, they lost their one playoff game last week. So now the narrative was, oh, is Sean McVay really a genius if they lose this game to the Cowboys? Is he really a good coach? I, I mean, you know, the overreaction due to such a small sample sizes now that exists in sports media is it's insane. It's insane. We don't want to give anybody any time to do anything. Look, I'm not thrilled with Matt Patricia, but I wouldn't have fired him after one year. So... Anyway, interestingly enough, the Rams, I mean, the Cowboys, obviously, we just talked about, they stopped a very good rushing attack Seattle the week before. Rams are known as a passing team, but it's a bit of a misnomer because they've got Todd Gurley, who is, you know, if not the top running back, one of the top three running backs in, in the league. 
And he does it all. He'll block, catches, great runner. Um, and the Rams sort of changed the game plan and ran the ball down the Cowboys' throats. I mean, look, Leighton Van Der Esch, the rookie middle linebacker for the Cowboys, had a wonderful year. He got schooled in that game. I mean, he was on his back half the game. That Rams offensive line did a number on a pretty good front seven for the Cowboys. I mean, C.J. Anderson off the scrap heap had over 100 yards, too. I mean, the Rams ran the ball for 280 yards. I mean, that's like, that's like old school, you know, big eight style, wing T, triple option, wishbone type stuff from the 80s with Julius Caesar Watts and Billy Sims at Oklahoma. And look, Dak didn't play great. He showed you how tough he is, though. Again, uh, I understand, as I always say, he keeps both teams in the game. You could do worse than Dak, than Dak Prescott. You really could. And I know AG would agree with me. He's not here. Obviously, we're flying solo tonight. But, uh, I, and it pains me to say this because, you know, I can't stand the owner. But Cowboys got, they, they're, they got something to build on there. You know, Amari Cooper, uh, I, I, everybody killed the Cowboys for giving up a first-round pick for him. Uh, I have to say, it's looking like a pretty good trade. Looking like a pretty good trade. Guy's good, he's young, and, and he's not a tool. Unlike Aqib Tlaib, who, by the way, the corner for, for the, now for the Rams, he's on his fourth team. I mean, the guy's supposedly good, whatever. Uh, I mean, the guy mugs guys right and left and basically dares officials to call a penalty on every play. Uh, when he was with the Patriots, of course, he got away with it about 90% of the time. Um, you know, Denver, less so. Now with the Rams, a little bit less so. But uh, perfectly, perfect, this perfectly encapsulates Aqib Tlaib's entire career. So he commits a ridiculous, idiotic pass interference penalty in the back of the end zone. He shoves Amari Cooper out of the back of the end zone. Now, granted, the ball was... Way underthrown by Dak Prescott. I'm sorry. You can't turn around and shove a guy out of the back of the end zone. You just can't. It's a penalty. They're going to call it every time. Okay? So, of course, he's all up in arms screaming and and moaning and groaning. And then after the game, uh, apparently he and Marcus Peters took exception to the fact that Omari Cooper had the nerve, the temerity, to say that he knows how those guys like to play because coming from the Raiders, he faced Denver uh, and the Chiefs, both of the Denver, Aqib Tlaib's former team, the Chiefs, Marcus Peters, former team. Marcus Peters, by the way, is another dummy. Another guy. Who could, he, Marcus Peters, very good player. Another guy who's worn out his welcome everywhere he's been. His coach couldn't stand him at Washington, University of Washington, in college, uh, and they couldn't stand him in Kansas City. Guy, I mean, guy intercepts eight passes every year. He gives up some plays, but he makes a lot of plays. But they couldn't wait to get rid of him either because he's a tool. He's a massive pain in the neck. And so they took, they took exception to Amari Cooper having the temerity to say that, you know, he knows how they like to play. I think I got those guys figured out because he played against them eight times or whatever when he was with the Raiders and those guys were with the Chiefs and the Broncos, respectively. So they went after him after the game and got into, like, you know, a shoving match. And, and that is perfect. That is perfect to keep Tlaib. What a dodo. So that game was really kind of a dud. And then you had New England-San Diego, which I was, of course, you know, eagerly anticipating. Now, now, I was home in time on Sunday. Let's not get crazy. I was home in time on Sunday and, and took my rightful position on my couch to watch the 1 and the 4.30 games. Um, and, you know, eagerly anticipating. You know, I've been talking to Chargers up all year. 
right? I loved what they did the week before when they went into Baltimore. Now, by the way, could the league screw the Chargers anymore? Is it possible, right? They made them travel all the way across country to play the Ravens. I mean, they didn't make them. I mean, they had to. Okay, fine. Even though they won 12 games and the Ravens won 10. But the Chargers were the wild card team, and the Ravens won that mediocre AFC Central this year. Or AFC North, rather. Is it Central? North? I don't even know. Uh, anyway, it used to be the Central. Now it's the North. Um, and... Uh, and so, but they could have they could have scheduled that game for a different time. Didn't have to be one o'clock, which is you know ten o'clock in the morning in California time. Okay, they did charges, you know, up to the task. No big deal. Then they go cross, go back cross country, right? Go back home. Now they go come play the Patriots again. Okay, it's fine. Patriots won their division, that crap joke division that the Patriots are in every year. The three of the most dysfunctional franchises in the NFL, and the Patriots are in the Bills, the Jets, and the Dolphins. And, of course, that's the 1 o'clock game, too. Of course. Of course. Could it make that the 4 o'clock game? Why not? Why couldn't that be the 4 o'clock game? The Saints game was the 4 o'clock game. That's central time. It's no difference. One hour. I mean, I understand Jera world. Jera, the, the America's team, has to be the Saturday night primetime game. Why not the Patriots, though? Tommy, why not them? Why not put them on the Saturday night game at 8 o'clock, at least, and let the Chargers play at that time zone? Nope. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta set it up perfectly for the Patriots and make that be the one o'clock game on Sunday. And I mean, look, I'm not saying that's why the Patriots won. The game was never close. It was an embarrassing blowout. Very disappointed in my Chargers there. Very disappointed. Uh, give the Patriots credit. They ran the ball down the Chargers' throats. Ran it right down their throats. Dink and dunked them to death. They never adjusted and then ran the ball down their throats. And the Patriots defense got after Phillip Rivers. Uh, you know, they were down 28-7 in the blink of an eye, uh, effectively negating Melvin Gordon in the running game. That was that. So that game was a dud. I literally turned that thing off probably beginning of the third quarter. Not much to watch there. And then you had the, the nightcap, which was Philly, New Orleans, which, you know, look, a lot of intrigue, a lot of drama. It was a tense game. It was back and forth. Philly got out to the fast start. New Orleans weathered the storm, got back in the mix, 14-10, took the lead, 17-14. Um, ended up winning. No, sorry. Uh, one final score was 20. Yeah, well, final score was 20-14. to 14. Um, Lutz missed the field goal that could have put them up two scores. Granted, it was a 52-yarder, but, you know, indoors in the dome, and he's a, guy, he's a strong leg kicker. He's one of the best kickers in the league. Got to make that. Left the door open for Philly, uh, and then Philly looked like they were coming down the field to try to take the lead, go up 21-20. Uh, ball goes through Alshon Jeffries' hands at about the 20-ish yard line of the Saints. They would have, you know, Phillies would have, uh, Phillies. The Eagles would have been in great shape. First and 10 at about the 20-something yard line, about a minute and 40-ish left to go, um, and a first down. And the ball went through his hands and went right to uh, Lattimore for an interception ball game. Now, a lot of people trying to lay this game at the doorstep of Alshon Jeffrey. That's idiotic. Let's, let me just dispel that notion right now. Okay. First of all, there was not a touchdown. Okay. It, again, Eagles would have the ball first and 10 at the 20-yard line. 
There's no guarantee they're scoring a touchdown from there. Now, I understand momentum was on their side, and you got the Foles magic. I get all that. If you're an Eagles fan, emotionally you're thinking you're going to go win this game. That's fine. But if you want to be an objective observer and look at the actual facts of what was going on, there's no guarantee that the Eagles were going to win that game. And I'll do you one better. Let's say that the Eagles score on the next play or two plays later. right? You're so con- if you're so convinced the Eagles are scoring there, right? They're going to score in one or two next play. One of the, one of the two next plays probably, right? For argument's sake, throw it out there. Well, that gives the Saints the ball back with about a minute left, only needing a field goal to win. So there's no guarantee that that would have even been the game-winning touchdown. The Eagles, uh, Saints would have had plenty of time to go down and kick a field goal. Plenty. I don't care if the Saints got the ball back with 40 seconds left in one timeout. Plenty of time for Breeze to get them in a field goal range. At least a long field goal range. And yes, I understand Lutz had missed a 52-yarder earlier in the game. But the guy's made 50-plus yard kicks all throughout his young career. Again, and it's in a dome. There's no reason to think he couldn't make a 55-yarder for the win. Especially after he missed a 52-yarder. So, uh, you know, look. I loved what Philly did there, what his teammates did. Foles ran right over to him. I mean, you could see Jeffrey was distraught, lying on the carpet, head down, you know, arms splayed out. And listen, of course, I mean, the guy felt terrible. But Alshon Jeffrey's a hell of a player. He's been a great player for the Eagles. He's been a big part of their success. You know, he's a very good player with the Bears. Now he's been a very good player with the Eagles. So, you know, look, it's, it's crushing, of course. Yes, does he have to make that catch? Of course he does. He'd be the first person to tell you that. You know, but people are trying to equate that with Cody Parkey missing a field No, 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 no. Because if Cody Parkey makes that field goal, the game was over. Okay? And you could even still go back to the Bears-Eagles game and say that that didn't lose them the game technically because why did the Bears' great defense let the Eagles go down and score? I'm not one of those people. Kicker's got to make a 43-yard kick. But... And, again, that kick goes through. There was no time left on the clock. Game is over. Ball going through Alshon Jeffrey's hands at the 20-yard line with about a minute and 40 seconds left. That, again, it's not a fait accompli that the Eagles are winning that game. So the two have nothing to do with each other. Not even close. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back right after this. All righty, we're back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports. So, uh... We'll take a, you know what? Let's let's take a look at the coaching changes first. We talked about how many uh, coaching changes there were. Right, eight jobs open. Um, talked about what jobs I thought were the best jobs. I thought the Cleveland job, probably out of all these jobs, the best job. I'd say Green Bay was the second best job just because of Rodgers. Um, and then the rest of them really kind of a crapshoot. I mean, look, I wouldn't touch Tampa Bay with a 10-foot pole. If you're going you're gonna to tell me i got to inherit Jameis Winston and he, I gotta, he's got to be my quarterback moving forward, no thank you. Uh, Denver, I mean, Elway has not shown an ability to give that team a, a quarterback other than you know, the fact that Manning was gift-wrapped to them five years ago. Uh, I mean, he's failed spectacularly with drafting Paxton Lynch, signing Case Keenum, you know, Trevor Simeon. I mean, yeah, they, they've done a horrible job there. Cincinnati, I mean, you know, Mike Brown, going to do Mike Brown things, the owner of the Bengals. I mean, look, I, I would say Cincinnati's a better job, though, only because they do have some good young talent there. They do draft well. <coughs> Excuse me. The Jets we know all about. Um, 
you like the quarterback there, so not not a terrible job. And you like Jamal Adams on defense, sort of the quarterback of that defense. They have some they have some pieces. They need a lot of playmakers on offense, and the offensive line needs a lot of work. I mean, other than quarterback, that offense could really use an entire overhaul. I mean, I understand Quincy Noon was a nice player, and Robbie Anderson's a decent, competent deep threat, and Herndon, the tight end, showed some signs this year. Um, but, I mean, they need a lot. They need a lot on that offense. Um, Arizona job, I mean, again, if you like Josh Rosen, you're going to like the job. Uh, doesn't look like the most stable franchise, considering the fact that they gave Steve Wilkes all of one year and then got rid of him. Um, so, you know, look, you know, and let's start with that because, you know, unfortunately, this is where we're at now, probably in society and, and sports oftentimes is, is, is kind of a, a mirror into society, as it were. Um, and so we're now in, in, in an era, particularly in sports, you see it all over the place in baseball and basketball, where, where, where dumb groupthink now, lazy, dumb groupthink is permeated and poisoned the well, in my humble opinion. With baseball, it's all about analytics. In the NBA, it's you, you got to shoot threes. If you don't shoot threes, we have no use for you. Um, three and D. You got to be a three and D guy. Play good defense and shoot threes. Except nobody plays defense in the NBA anymore because they've legislated it out of the sport. I mean, I was watching some of the Nets Celtics game last night. And by the way, we'll get to the NBA later. But. Uh, I just got to get this off my chest. That was garbage basketball to watch. I mean, the lane is wide open half the time for both teams, and nobody wants to take the ball to the basket. Everybody just wants to camp out around a three-point line and jack up threes. It's a joke what's going on in the NBA. It's unwatchable. Unwatchable. I don't care if these games are 130 to 120. It's not even fun to watch. This is not like the old days of watching the Nuggets against the Spurs with George Gervin against Alice English, where those games were fun to watch. You guys actually did stuff. Guys actually had low post moves and pull up jumpers and bank shots. Now it's to stand outside the three or try to go in for a dunk or flail your arms around and try to get a foul call, go to the foul line like, like James Harden does. It's ridiculous. Yeah, NBA. Sorry. I digress. Um, so this is where we're at in football now. Now everybody, apparently, if you've had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay, the head coach of the Rams, you are apparently qualified to be a head coach in the NFL. Because Cliff Kingsbury, who was 44-50 and 50 at Texas Tech, never worked in the NFL before. And I like Cliff Kingsbury, by the way. He's not an NFL head coach. Got the Arizona job. You want to hire him as a coordinator or quarterback's coach? Fine. You're going to make him the head coach? He's 39 years old. He couldn't even have a winning record at Texas Tech. Are you kidding me? You know, it reminds me when Mariucci got the Cal, uh, got the Niners job because he went six and five at Cal one year. I mean, it, 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 it's just weird. And again, and I like Cliff Kingsbury. And it's not like he didn't have any players at Texas Tech. Guess what? He had Patrick Mahomes. Now they'll use that as a positive. Oh, he coached Patrick Mahomes. That's great. Then explain to me why he went six and six every year with Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I mean, and listen, I understand the Big Twelve is a tough conference. You got to play Oklahoma. You got to play. Uh, West Virginia and Texas. Yeah, I get it. And Texas hasn't been world beaters the last five years. They just fired their coach three years ago. Charlie Strong, out. I mean, so that that was weird. And and and, and the Cardinals went so far as to put in their initial announcement friends with Cliff King uh, with with Sean McVay in his bio. 
And then they got ridiculed, rightfully so for it, on Twitter and every other social media platform, and then they took that off. I mean, again, you want to bring him in to be the quarterback's coach, even the offense coordinator? Okay, I can live with that. Make him the head coach? Very odd. Now, look, I, I could say I could look, I'd be sitting here next year, I could look like a total fool after the, Chargers just, uh, the Cardinals just won their first playoff game. I, I don't think so. Uh, Cleveland gave the job to Freddie Kitchens, who, again, now, apparently he, he, he doesn't come blessed with the Sean McVay magic oil, but he uh, was elevated from quarterback's coach to offense coordinator after they fired that disaster, Hugh Jackson. And, you know, the team did really well under his stewardship as the offense coordinator play caller. Did a great job with Mayfield. Apparently Mayfield really likes him. I don't have any issue with that because you know why? They saw what the guy could do. He was there in the building every day. He talked to the GM. The GM saw what he's about. So the GM thinks that is comfortable and saw his – he has a body of work at least. I mean, again – that that the, the Browns were a couple of terrible calls away that went against them away from being a playoff team after they got rid of Hugh Jackson and 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 uh, Todd Haley as offense coordinator and elevated Freddie Kitchen. So, granted, he didn't have a ton of uh, experience on his resume either. By the way, I don't know if you guys he was a quarterback at Alabama back in the I think the early mid nineties um, or no late nineties. But anyway. Um, so he played the position at a high, fairly high level in college. I mean, he wasn't a great, but he was a good college quarterback at a great, you know, big-time program. And clearly, Baker Mayfield likes him. They had success under him. I have no issue with that hire whatsoever. None. None. Green Bay hired someone named Matt LeFleur, the offensive coordinator for that dynamic offense, wait for it, the Tennessee Titans. But hold on. Matt LaFleur worked for one year under Sean McVay. So, therefore, I guess he also has been touched by the magic oil. And so, you know what? As a Lions fan, God bless. Go ahead, Green Bay. Have at it. Now, of course, I am now guaranteeing that the Lions will get blown out by the Packers twice next year because I'm talking smack about them. But... I thought that was a very strange hire. I mean, you look up the term pedestrian offense, and right next to it is the Tennessee Titans logo. I mean, they have had about as pedestrian an offense, unexciting, unimaginative offense as you could possibly imagine. I know. I remember it was supposed to be creative smash mouth is what they were going to call it. They got dumb lucky to even make the playoffs last year. Got dumb lucky to win that game against the Chiefs, as we talked about earlier on the show. Um, yeah. Seemed like a very odd hire. Which brings us to the New York Jets. <laughs> so my prediction of them hiring Mike McCarthy uh, proved to be wrong. They hired Adam Gaze, the 40-year-old former head coach of the Dolphins, where he's in his first year they did make the playoffs uh, and won 10 games. The second year, uh, losing record. Last year, losing record. Uh, they got blown out in their last couple of games. Um, but he's another one that's considered to be some sort of offensive guru, some sort of quarterback whisperer. And so, you know, having Sam Darnold as their franchise, hopefully franchise quarterback moving forward, just felt it was important to get somebody on that side of the ball, uh, even though they claimed that they were just looking for the best possible coach. Um, their actions would uh, say otherwise. Um, 
look, <laughs> I didn't know who, you know, the, the Jets are very much similar to the Lions. Like, I don't know who would be a slam dunk candidate. I mean, their history is so ridiculously star-crossed. I mean, at least they do have their one Super Bowl, which, by the way, we're now going on 50 years. Is the 50th anniversary of that, 1969. But, I mean, ever since then, they have been, you know, they, they, they've, they, they're very similar to lines. Some success here and there, uh, but more, 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 more often than not, it's misery, being a Jets fan. Um, you know, the Richie Kotite era, Pete Carroll. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. Al Groh. I mean, the list just goes on and on, right? Man Genius was going to change the world, and Rex Ryan was going to change the world until he didn't, and Herm Edwards, and, you know, it just goes on and on. I mean, look, I'll tell you, I, I, I will go to my grave saying, when the Lions hired Jim Schwartz, I, was, I could not have been happier. It's the happiest I've ever been about any of my sports teams that I root for making a coaching hire, except with the exception of when the Knicks hired Pat Riley. Other than that, and maybe when the Mets hired David Johnson. But right up there, I was thrilled. I was convinced Jim Schwartz was going to be the guy. And I'm still convinced he was a good coach. I'm still convinced I've never seen a guy get more unlucky in my life and a team get more unlucky in its life than when Jim Schwartz was a coach there. And I'm shocked, by the way, that he's not going to get another job as a head coach in this league. But I, you know, I guess I shouldn't be shocked because now nobody cares about defense, really. It's only offense. So anyway... Uh, and then Adam Gase goes out there yesterday and does a press conference where he looks completely overwhelmed and bewildered. Now, look, you're not going to judge a coach by the press conference. Perfect example, Matt Patricia couldn't have been more engaging and gregarious in his introductory press conference with the Lions last year. I was like, wow, look at this guy. And then he turned into a total sourpuss jerk during the season. So, you know, my, my point is just because Gaze didn't look particularly comfortable in front of the media. Now, we did talk about it, the fact that you know, he, he had issues with the Miami media. Wait, wait till some of these wise asses in the New York media start coming at him after he, like, you know, burns a timeout when he shouldn't or something like that or has some clock management issues. Forget it. He's going to go out of his mind. It seems like a strange mix. You know, apparently he's got a very prickly personality. I mean, it does not seem to be a very good mix. But we'll see. You know, given the again, given the Jets' history, you're not call, you're not you're not optimistic this is going to work out. <laughs> I think in about three years we'll be talking about another Jets head coach hire. Uh, speaking of his former franchise, the Dolphins, looks like my boy Brian Flores, Polly Prepolum, fellow Polly Prepolum, is going to get that job, and they're going to do something very smart. They're going to hire Jim Caldwell as an offensive uh, assistant slash advisor. Very smart move. Right? Jim Cole has been a successful head coach in the NFL. Has a wealth of experience. Players love the guy. I mean, I saw on Twitter today, every Lion, basically, that played for Caldwell, giving shout-outs and congratulations upon hearing the news. Um, you know, Flores is a defensive guy, mostly, right? He's essentially the de facto defensive coordinator for the Patriots. You know, they don't, they don't give out that title, you know, because that's how the Patriots do. But he's essentially the defensive coordinator. Um, so, but, you know, they can't make it official until the Patriots are done playing, which hopefully will be after this Sunday. No offense, Brian. <laughs> um, since he's hiring Zach Taylor, who, you might ask? Exactly. He is the quarterback's coach currently for the Rams. Again, brushed and anointed with the magic oil, the Sean McVay magic hair gel. So I guess, you know, well, that, that, that seems doomed um, to me. Uh, Denver actually breaking 
the trend here, and I give LA credit for this, in hiring former doo-wop singer Vic Fangio, <laughs> the defensive coordinator from the Bears. I mean, they, they, just the name just said, hey, it's Vic Fangio and the Tailfins. Ba 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 bang 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 ding dang ding dong. Um, but yeah, so Vic Fangio, 60 years old and a defensive guy. But, you know, turn that Bears defense around. Now, look, doesn't hurt to have Khalil Mack and Roquan Smith and Akeem Hicks um, and, you know, a whole host of other characters on that defense that are really good. But, you know, he's known to be a very good defensive coordinator. And Denver's strength is their defense. They keep Von Miller there with him and Bradley Chubb. Um, some of the other guys on that defense, that's, it's a good defense still. So, uh, you know, again, they got to figure out the quarterback situation out there in Denver. But uh, kind of an interesting uh, bucking trend type of hire for Denver. And then Tampa Bay hired Bruce Arians, who I love Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians, former head coach of the Cardinals. Remember, Bruce Arians took over when Chuck Pagano was the head coach of the Colts when Luck was a rookie and playing very well. Fan, uh, Chuck Pagano got cancer. Now he's fine now. Good for him. Knock wood. But uh, Arians took over uh, as interim coach, and they went. Uh, they did great things over there. And then he got the Cardinals job as a result of that. And they had a very, they had a very nice run with the Cardinals until things went a little south. You know, Carson Palmer retired, and you know they couldn't get a quarterback, and stuff happens. Um, but I think B.A. is a hell of a coach. Look, I would have loved to have seen him be Lions head coach and or offensive coordinator. Uh, he would make Stafford. I mean, he would be, he's perfect for Stafford because B.A. likes to run the ball and then throw deep shots. And, that, that, and, and I mean, you look, Cardinals, right? J.J. Nelson, John Brown, other than Larry Fitzgerald, all the other guys on that team, all the receivers are all fast, small, fast guys that can stretch the field. Right? And they always had a good running game under him, too. So that's an interesting hire. I mean, obviously, they brought him in there to get, you know, to try to, you know, tap into the supposed potential of Jameis Winston. So we'll see. Um, now, the Lions themselves have a spot open offense coordinator. Some of these guys that got hired were considered to maybe be offense coordinator candidates. A lot of them have taken other jobs. Um, there's some thought that maybe one of the guys with the Patriots, the receivers coach, is a candidate. Um, also, Shane Waldron, who's the passing game coordinator for the Rams, is a candidate. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, all right. NBA. Did a little rant on it earlier. So, I mean, look, th- th- this is what the NBA is now. It's it's really I don't find it to be a particularly uh, appealing product. I really don't. I mean, again, I'm telling you, I'm watching that that Celtics Nets game last night. I see the lane is wide. I'm like, would someone put the ball on the floor and take the ball to the hole, please? Nope. Nope. God forbid anybody has a pull up jump shot from 15 feet. Not don't, don't want that. Don't want a center with a low post game. Can't have that. Knicks are you know can't can't deal with Ennis Cantor. I uh, got to get him out of there. So they're going to get rid of him, which, listen, it's fine because he's going to be free agent after this year and he's going to probably demand a, a big salary and they're trying to clear cap space to sign one, if not two, you know, superstars. Okay, whatever. I understand that. Um, but, you know, uh, I mean, what, what, what happened to, you know, the can be corollary? Just stop worrying about what guys can't do and focus on what guys can do. And this can is one of the best low post store scores in a league. That's bad. That's a bad thing somehow. 
Now, I understand his defense isn't great. Nobody on the Knicks plays defense. And if the coach, by the way, if I hear one more love fest after they give up 145 points to, you know, the Suns and don't even compete, I'm, I'm about had it. Look, I sat here and I told you a million times how much I love Fizzle, but I'm really disappointed in him lately. And again, I understand this year's not supposed to be about results. That's fine. How about guys go out and compete? You know, the Knicks have too many young players. They're the youngest team in the league. They have too many young players to be this bad defensively. Because if you're that young, it means, I would hope, that you have athleticism. And if you have athleticism, the only thing that would prevent one from being a good defensive player is want to. And or a coach that demands defense. That's it. You know, and Fisdale could give me all the excuses he wants with, oh, you know, they're having a tough time understanding our concepts. This isn't the NFL, okay? This isn't single high safety, you know, two deep zone, Tampa two, cover two, zone blitz, Dick LeBeau. It, it's, the, it's basketball. Get in front of your guy and guard him and don't let him get around you. How about that? Move your damn feet. Get in a stance and don't let the guy get around you. It's ridiculous. Defense is the easiest thing in the world to play if you want to play it. And you have a shred of athletic ability. I stunk at basketball, but I could play defense. Because I was maniacal. So I get down in his stance and I was de- determined that the guy wasn't going to get around me. Now look, I understand if you're physically in the NBA, some guys are just better than other guys. I get that. Okay? But again... The Knicks have some guys on that team. I mean, Emmanuel Moutier is 6'5", 220 pounds athletic. He should not be a terrible uh, defender. Tim Hardaway Jr. is 6'6", with long arms, and, and is plenty quick enough to get to the hole when he wants and shoot, but he's not quick enough to stay with anybody on defense? Kevin Knox can't guard anybody? At 6'9", with long arms? He's 19. He's tired? What, are you kidding me? It's ridiculous. Yeah, I understand Ennis Kander's not a great defender because he's slow-footed. Okay. And he doesn't jump. I understand that. That I can live with. But these other guys, it's ridiculous. And I'd like to see some accountability from the coach. Sorry, I got on a little rant there. But, I mean, I I feel like we're we're overcomplicating something that's pretty simple. Speaking of the Nets, by the way, so that's where we're at with the Knicks, by the way. Just so you know, very disappointed with Fizdale. I'm not giving up on him by any stretch. And, you know, look, you, you can't really make a full evaluation. I get it until they get a better roster in place. You know, I mean, look, you know, they, they, they got basically a bunch of, you know, failed lottery picks with other franchises that are still, you know, 25 years or younger or 26 years or younger that they're hoping, you know, they can develop into players. And I'm all for that. It makes perfect sense to me. You know, five of these, five or six of these guys, if, if four of these guys work out, it, it's worth it. I, I get it. And the guys right now that I think are worth it, I, I would keep Noah Vonley. They'll probably get rid of him because Porzingis is coming back and they supposedly play the same position. I, I would keep Vonley. I love him. I don't understand why he didn't play more. Um, and again, p- p- please, please, coach, if I never see Lance Thomas again, it'll be too soon. I mean, really, what in the world is that guy doing playing, playing any minutes at all on this team? Makes no sense. But Vonley, I like. Moutier, jury's still out, but I, 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 I think he's a keeper. Certainly wouldn't prevent me from drafting a stud point guard. 
But I, I but Moutier could be a piece. Uh, Nilakina, I have no use for at all. None. I don't want to hear he's 20. I don't, I don't want to hear any of those things. Again, I, he doesn't do anything. Nothing. You know, Alonzo Trier has played terribly lately ever since he came back from that injury. At least before that, you can see what his skill set is. You can see his ability to penetrate and dribble and get a shot off almost against almost any time he wants and score. He is a scorer. He's a scoring guard. And he's got stones, and he's not afraid to take big shots. I don't see anything out of Nilakina, including defense, by the way. He's supposedly some great defender. I don't see it. So, I mean, they're not, probably not going to get rid of Nilakina unless they pull off some big trade and he's included in it and some team that maybe liked him come out of the draft thinks they can get him right. You know, he's been hurt this year, whatever. And look, I get it. He's a nice kid. I have nothing against Frank Nilakina, the person. I just don't think he's a very good basketball player. Again, I, I, I mean, I have no evidence of this, but I'm pretty sure Phil Jackson took a dump on his way out the door, and he, that's what he did. He left us Frank Nilakina as his parting shot, his final gift to the Knicks. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's what I think. He's like, all right, you want to fire me and make me the scapegoat? Fine. But, but somehow idiotically allow me to, to, to draft the eighth pick in the draft? I'm going to draft Frank Nilakina for you guys. Have fun. A 19-year-old French kid, a guard who can't shoot or dribble or penetrate <laughs> or with very limited athleticism. <coughs> so, I mean, look, Trier, you keep. Mitchell Robinson, who's been hurt, you keep. I would keep Vonley. I think I might keep Moutier. Trey Burke, probably not. Uh, Hazonia, although he's played better, probably not. Um, although Hazonia has had such a, 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 a weird year that you might be able to bring him back on not a very big deal. Although, you know, the NBA, again, is another one of these. I mean, they, they just hand out $50 million contracts. Any guy can walk and chew gum at the same time. It's ridiculous what goes on in that league. I mean, the NBA, first of all, look, just look at the Knicks roster. It's a perfect example of why the NBA draft is meaningless and a total crapshoot. The Knicks have, let's see. From one draft, that was three years ago, three of the top seven picks. They have Moutier, Hazonia, and Porzingis. <laughs> Most guys were... <laughs> Porzingis was four, Hazonia was five, Moutier was seven. Sorry, three of the top seven lottery picks from three years ago. Knicks have three of them. Two of them came from other teams. Cantor was the third pick in the draft. Granted, that was like six years ago. Vonley was the ninth pick in the draft like four years ago. I mean, it's insane. The NBA gets this wrong almost all the time. How about the great Markel Fultz? How's he doing? Might never play basketball again. He's so bad. I just, I, I just have a thing now. I, I'm very down on the NBA. I mean, here's a perfect example. James Harden, granted, I, I mean, again, one of the more unlikable athletes in, in all of sports, right? Can't stand him. Can't stand the way he plays. Can't stand the way he, he mugs for calls and he gets calls. Uh, everything about him irritates me. The guy's a hell of a player, having said that. Had like, what, eight games in a row, ten games in a row with 35 points plus or more. Put up, you know, 30-something the other night, but was one for 17 from three. One for 17 from three. This is where we're at now, folks. This is the NBA. It's what everybody loves, though, because Daryl Morey 
the genius GM for the Rockets. Oh, I'm sorry. How many championships have the Rockets won since Daryl Moore has been the GM? Wait, how many? Meep, 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 meep. Oh, that's right. That would be zero. But he decided that analytics are the thing and you got to shoot threes. So everybody else jumped on board for whatever reason. Uh, so, again, it's just, it's just not fun. But the Nets are fun. They're kind of similarly built like the Knicks, except they're a little bit further along in their rebuild. And so you're seeing some of the results. They're about 500 now. They still don't beat the really good teams. They beat the Celtics last night. The Celtics didn't have Kyrie Irving and uh, uh, who? I think Marcus Smart, although nah, whatever. Marcus Smart's a nice glue guy, but he's not exactly a superstar. Um, but the Nets still, you know what? Give them credit. They, they still have Jason Tatum, who everybody loves for the Celtics, and the great Jalen Brown. And, uh, you know, Terry Rozier, who was great last year, has had a horrible year for the Celtics this year. I mean, I think he can't wait to get the hell out of there. He did not want to be there, it looks like. Um, and I would love him on the Knicks, by the way. If you're getting the Terrorist that played last year and then played in the playoffs after Kyrie had a hangnail um, and couldn't play. But, um, you know, look, so give the Nets credit. You don't throw back wins. It's fine. The Celtics is, you know, still considered one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. It's a good win for the Nets. They had a big lead. They almost, you know, pissed it away, but then they were able to hold on late. Um, the Nets are fun to watch. This, ja- this Jared Allen, this tall kid with the big afro, the center, fun to watch. Kid rebounds, block shots, dunks, fun to watch. He's a string bean. Maybe he needs to get a little stronger, but he can play. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, I know he's been in a little bit of a, a funk lately, can play, the guard. D'Angelo Russell, shockingly enough, has actually played pretty well for the Nets. The other guard, for, for another failed former lottery pick from three years ago. It's a third, second pick in the draft by the Lakers. They got him the hell out of there after two years. Looks like he's finally maybe starting to find his footing here with the, with the Nets. You know, they got a couple of good glue guys like Joe Harris and Damari Carroll. Nets are fun to watch. I mean, I root for the Nets because I like to, you know, they're an underdog team. They're right down the street from me here in Brooklyn. And, you know, I'd be perfectly happy to see the Nets be a good team. It'd be nice to see the Nets and the Knicks both be good at the same time and actually have a little rivalry. That'd be fun. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, the webpage, the website is jamalaboutsports.com, Twitter account at jamalaboutsport, no S, and the Facebook page is also jamalaboutsports.com. Until next time, thanks for listening, and peace out.